everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of Zach on Film. Joining me, like always, Steven Schleicher. Who are those guys? And, of course, all the way across the internet is Rodrigo Lopez. They can't do that. Can you do that? Can they do that? They did that. Uh, this week, it's still something of 69 on Zach on Film, and we are watching Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, uh, a movie starring some very famous people, Paul Newman, Robert Redford. Mm-hmm. Um, have we watched any movies with those guys? I feel like yeah, we, we watched have. The Sting. Yeah. Oh, yeah, they were the two in it, right? Yeah. Okay, uh-huh. yeah, okay. I couldn't remember, because we didn't watch um, what's Redford's uh, uh, presidential movie. A few uh, President's Men, or is any he, is he in that? A Few Good Men? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, all with the, uh, all the President's Men? Yeah, with yeah. Watergate? Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't, we haven't we didn't watched watch that, it, though. But, right. Uh, I have, and we've talked about it. Yeah, we talked about it. I just can't remember if we watched any other movies with him. Um, no, so no this Redford movies. No. The Butch Cassidy and Sundance Kid, 1969, rated PG, which I thought was weird. Um, just before I even started, I was like, well, that's weird. Um, well, because of the language. Well, right. I mean, I just like the movies we've been watching are like hard R's, like well, so Boring NC-17, it. and then so like Butch Cassidy, I'm like, oh, okay. So PG. think about it. What are the last two movies we watched? We watched The Wild Bunch. Yeah. What was the other one we watched? Uh, Easy Rider. Uh, Easy Rider, right? Yeah. This is like the flip of, of that, right? As, as I said uh, on Twitter earlier today, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid is the movie that Hollywood thought audiences wanted and that audiences also thought that they wanted. Mm-hmm. Yeah, is um I mean it was the number 1 movie of 1969 as far as dollar dollar wise goes. Well, and we always know that determines the best movie. Right, exactly. At the end of the year. Um in yeah, so that was just right off the bat. I'm like, "Oh, this is going to be different." And it definitely was, especially um when the credits are rolling. And then I saw that uh, a, a very particular song was going to be in this movie. Yeah. And I definitely mm-hmm. scratched my head. And then you get about 30 minutes into this film and um, raindrops keep falling on my head starts playing as people are riding a bicycle. And I just like shouted like expletives that I can't say on the show because it made no freaking sense. And it was just like we've watched weird movies right we've watched weird like the even just last week Mm -hmm. easy rider Mm -hmm. that thing where they start tripping is just weird that doesn't even compare to how weird this moment in this movie was yeah it was so odd and made little to no sense but i'm sure there's a reason why it happened and i'm sure it it made sense the time but i gotta tell you that is one of the dumbest decisions i've ever seen in a movie there are a lot of dumb i mean Oh, no, this mo- whole movie was just like, oh, great kind of chase scene, battle. Why are, why are they doing that? And then this thing happens, and i just like, well, I'm, I, I'm just lost. Gotta, gotta have a musical number, right? That's S- Hollywood says. says. Gotta have the musical number. Says who? Gotta have a theme song so we can sell them uh, those uh, uh, eight, not eight tracks, uh, the 45s. I mean, had this song Nine just came tracks. out? What's that? Had this song oh, yeah, just I think came so. out? I think that's when... Uh, I think that's when the song came out for this movie. Are you saying there's no way that song was written for this movie? Let's find out. Raindrops. I should have looked this up, but I didn't even consider that idea. Falling on my head. Because if this, if that song was actually written for this movie, then is a song written for the film Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. It won the Academy Award for Best Original Song. David and Burt Bacharach, Hal David and Burt Bacharach, also won Best Original Score. 
raindrops for, for this keep movie. falling on my head mm-hmm. was written for Butch Cassidy and mm-hmm. the Sun did. My world is kind of shattered in that that again makes no sense. Uh, uh, that is just not what I expected at all. Was, I, this, it, was this movie what you expected at all? Um, kind of because I had read briefly briefly before I started watching it that it said it was like this quintessential buddy movie. Which I think there were buddy that, movies before this, though. Yeah, it, but it's like this is the one, mm-hmm. and I kind of got that vibe off of it. I have like a lot of problems with it, but um, once that gets started, and especially in the intro, we're like Butch Cassidy and Sundance Kid and the Hole in the Wall Gang. They rob trains. Let's rob some trains, and then they rob like two trains. Well, I guess they rob trains in the end, but that's. It was like, let's rob a train. Let's rob a train again, and then let's ride our horses away from these guys for 45 minutes, and then let's board a train or a, a steamboat. For some reason, let's go to New York to get on a steamboat to get to Bolivia. That may have been the only way that you could have gotten to South America, perhaps. Although you would think I that think they why they just ride to, their horses. Well, because they would have had to go through Mexico and Central America into South America. Yeah, I get it, and, but then they had to like ride all the way across America to get to New York. No, though, they got on a train to go to, to New York. They rode a train to get on to New York. I'm just, it was like, oh, very, I'm like, what, what are they doing? Why are they in Coney Island? This is very confusing. They went the wrong direction to go to Bolivia. Rodrigo, well, was this the I'm, movie that you expected? Uh, yeah, because actually the very first thing that I saw about Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid was that bicycle scene. <laughs> um, because I, uh... When I was a, this is a, this is kind of a, this is like such a side story. Uh, when I was in college, I uh, signed up for some like uh, psych experiments where basically they're just like, okay, well, uh, we're gonna play some music and you tell us how you feel, right? It's just like psych students learning how to conduct an experiment, sure. And they use other students to to learn how to or to to use that. Um, so they were like, okay, we're going to show you some scenes from movies and just write down how you feel uh, after watching them, right? So one of the things they showed us was that scene and it was like, so they had to like credit the movie and it's like, here's the scene from Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. And I was like, what? <laughs> what is this movie? Um so that was actually my first uh, exposure to it. So going in, I already knew that that bicycle scene was in it. Um, I had seen parts of it that seemed very incongruous with that bicycle scene, but mm-hmm. I was like, I, I don't know what this is going to be. There are two things that people remember most from Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. Raindrops keep falling on my head bicycle scene. <laughs> and the final shot at the end, which is them running out as the Bolivian army open fires on them and we go to the still frame. Mm-hmm. If you look at the poster for the movie, it's got... It? a black and white little inset of them riding on a bike Mm -hmm. and then the Mm -hmm. freeze frame of them running out of the building. (laughs) Yeah. I, when that happened, I knew I had seen that from somewhere. I don't know where it could have been a textbook. It could have been anything, Mm -hmm. but that was like, Oh yeah, I've seen this somewhere before. Yeah. Um, you know, even the name Butch Cassidy, the Sundance kid, knowing it's in 69, knowing it's supposed to be in this Western. I'm like, all right, you know, it's going to hmm. be like a Western. Yeah. And they're going to be, you know, just fighting. They're going to be the whole thing. They're going to be these cool dudes, and they're probably going to be slightly racist, and they're going to do all these things. And then it's like, well, that was weird. 
You know, it was it just was not like. But I mean, think about think what of like we've all the names about. we've when, watched. When we like, look at when we look at the Wild Bunch or when we look at Easy Rider, they are this film school generation that are coming out and they're saying, you know what, we want to break away from Hollywood tradition and we want to create films that people our age will enjoy. That we're targeting, you know, we're targeting our people, not mm-hmm. not everyone. We're targeting our people. So mm-hmm. you do get something that's radically different. To me, when you look at Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. This is a Hollywood by the numbers. Here's how we make a Western. Here's all the things that we have to have in order to hit all these demographics. Mm -hmm. We're going to put this out there and audiences are going to love it. Sure, they loved it. It made $15 million in the the box office um, uh, on a $6 million budget. So, Mm -hmm. you know, doubled their money. Uh, But this is like quintessential... What's wrong with Hollywood in the late 60s, early 70s is is this film right here. And I think this is the perfect example of just out of touch that the audience that the studio is with their audience. It's it's a movie that if you're, you know, if you're like my age, but you're back in the 69 or you're a little bit younger than me. You're like, oh, my grandparents love Butch Cassidy, the Sundance kid. Because I'm thinking about now, I was like, I bet there's a lot of uh, uh, grandparents I would ask like. Hey, you guys like Butch Cassidy and something like, oh my God, yeah. I my love that dad, movie. My mom and dad would, and mostly because of the two stars, Paul Newman and Robert Redford. I mean, we've seen Paul Newman before in um, Cool Hand Luke, right? Yeah, yeah, So yeah. he's a big name, a big star. People know him. Everyone's fawning over him and Robert Redford. So these two mm-hmm. together on the screen for the first time, it's like, I don't know, who are the two big stars today? It's like combining Will Smith and... Uh, it's like Robert Downey Jr. and Chris Evans. Yeah. 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 It's exactly like that. Let's put them together and have them tell a story. Parts of it may be true. Yeah, it was um, that. I mean, because the weird thing about this movie. All right. Okay. So we kind of remember the beginning. But right before the bicycle scene Mm -hmm. was a scene that I found to be equally as disturbing and was just like, what the hell or how did this even get uh, that? That was a so moment. In, I was like, "This so is the, the PG scene. in '69." So what? in the in the scene, um, what's her name? Etta Etta Place, I think is her name. Um, so the school marm for the town comes mm-hmm. home, yeah, and she goes in and she starts to undress and she turns around and there's there's the Sundance kid there with a gun pointing at her, yeah, and he, without saying things, he's like, "Take off your clothes, turn around, take off mm-hmm. your clothes." And then he starts taking off her clothes and then he goes up to her and he's like, don't make any sound. And it's like, whoa, this is really rapey. Yeah. And then in, and they kiss and then she's like, oh, I just wish you would come home on time. Yeah. So this is like their weird role play thing. And I was like, was it was that supposed to be a laugh? I was think that it was supposed to be, to be a, laugh a laugh in the theater? Yeah, I think it is. That does not play out well. Now, it was very, very, very weird and not like cool. It's like uh, that moment on. I was like, oh. I don't like these guys. Yeah, that was my biggest problem with this movie. Well, and he I was not. Like, I don't like any of these characters. I mean, he is. I mean, they're they're villains, right? But but this is a this is a movie that is glorifying the bad guy, right? Right. But I think there is no point in the movie where the Sundance Kid has a solid relationship with with Etta. He's very dismissive of her. Yes. He doesn't really care that much, or at least that's how he comes off in a lot of the scenes. Mm-hmm. And it's Paul Newman's character, Butch Cassidy, who seems more interested in, oh, I wish that I would have gotten to you before Sundance did because we'd have a totally different relationship. That's why we're out here riding a bike and he's inside sleeping off right. the night before. So it's it's weird. Yeah, Rodrigo, when I was reading, uh, I'm guessing it was Roger Ebert last week about Easy Rider, 
mm-hmm. had mentioned that um, like the reason that these buddy movies are so popular right now and you don't see really many women characters in these films is because Hollywood or just anyone in the movies did not know how to write women. And I felt like that was very obvious uh, in Bush uh, casting Sundance Kid. Oh, yeah. Like, I, I feel that maybe she was included for, maybe for historical accuracy. Um, if, if that was actually a character mm-hmm. or, or a person that actually lived and interacted with these two. But... Yeah, it's like she she's given like very flat dialogue to say like she's just kind of there. Um, You know, there's some stuff under the surface. You know, she's clearly like upset there by the end. And, you know, she's tired of these two being like, well, we can't be bank robbers anymore. Mm -hmm. And then she's like, well, then do something else. And they're like, we don't want to. Um, and then she leaves, which is probably the strongest character choice she makes the whole movie. Uh, but but then she's gone and she's just gone for the rest of the movie. Right. right. So at a place is a real person was a real companion yeah. of, of Butch and Sundance. And basically, we don't know what happened to her. Uh, just like in the movie, she just kind of walks out. There was a deleted scene where um, they went to the movies and she got on a train to go home. But in real life, no one really knows what happened to her or how she died or what became of her after mm. she left. Uh, Bolivia. So a little, a little bit of historical right. accuracy there. Yeah. Her character was so odd and seemed, I mean, it was, she was almost, I just hated how they used her with Butch and Sundance as in like, she's this thing that these guys kind of just pass back and forth and they don't really like, you don't really know what they want with her. You kind of don't understand what her, like place in this whole scenario is it just felt really odd and then it, they, I don't know it was just like oh, I can't I can't handle this situation anymore and and I I, I know I think as I was like said the, these guys I don't like and you said you know right. it was this glorification right. of these villains but then again it was like that's what Wild Bunch I does hate. the same thing and Easy Rider does the same thing too yeah I know and I don't and maybe it's just because we're watching three movies in a row mm-hmm. but I think there is one difference in this in that like oh I can't stand these guys I can't stand that we're like again looking at these bad people who are I'm like. They they think they have this moral code of like oh if he just would have paid me I would have stopped robbing his train yeah, yeah. and then they just go like rob from other banks and they I'm like I don't understand why they had to keep robbing it's like you've robbed that's a lot. what they do that's I, all they know right they, that's like, all yeah. they know but it's like you need a new job you just robbed like 15 banks what are you spending all your money on well, like grain or that's something why, you know it's implied that Paul Newman just uh, Butch Cassidy just wastes his money right on vacations yeah, yeah. on clothes on mm. bicycles that he only rides <laughs> once and apparently is an expert at riding only having ridden it once yeah that was weird and um and then he doesn't have any money he doesn't save his money mm-hmm. whereas maybe it's kind of implied that the Sundance kid does save his up maybe a little bit more but because they're partners they go along with it each time mm-hmm. so that's kind of the the reason why they constantly have to rob is because the robberies that they do do don't net a lot of money, and then they w- spend it right away. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So you would think, though, that in Bolivia they could uh, use the uh, whatever the monetary system is down there to live quite nicely. Yeah, and so 
what I thought was different about this, and I think is very different when you actually watch them, and I think this is why I kind of got a PG, is we looked at Wild Bunch. And oh, there's, there's these a bad guys. There. There's a booby in there. We get to see. Uh, this movie? Yeah, yeah. Oh, I missed it. Yeah. Um, there was Wild Bunch, bad dudes we follow, got theirs at the end, right? Mm-hmm. Easy Rider, these dudes, I mean, it was a little bit of a different situation, but these guys got theirs at the end. Mm-hmm. These guys get theirs at the end, yeah. but we don't see it. Well, yeah, and so that was, I know mean, it was like, they got a PG, but it was like, it, we, you have to imply, oh, these guys got theirs, but they get this cool freeze frame. Right. And like, they get immortalized so, in this one moment of like, oh, we're going out in a blaze of glory because we're cool. And, but then it's like, you don't actually see them like, oh, nope, they got up, they got right. killed. They so, murdered. Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid are kind of like legendary, right? I mean, they are these legendary robbers that, especially in this area, uh, people know about and they know their history. And like Bonnie and Clyde, they are these bad guys that people don't really mind that they're that they're robbing banks and robbing trains. And so they are kind of elevated a little bit up to this hero status among some people. Um, Bonnie and Clyde, which was done, I think, two years years, or three years before this, 67, I believe. Mm -hmm. Uh, we got to see their violin end because right. everyone knows their violin ending, right? Where uh, you can go and see the Bonnie and Car Clyde on display with all the bullet holes. So people know that. So you have to put that into the film. Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, they went off to Bolivia. You heard they got obliterated by the Federales or the Bolivian Army or whoever. You never really know for sure about that. So you can kind of leave in the way that the film ends this little bit of mystery of, did they make it? Did they not make it? We assume they're dead because we know that they died. But oh, wouldn't it be great to keep these the the spirit of these these um, uh, bad guys alive? Kind mm-hmm. of thing. Plus, it's Robert Redford and uh, and uh, Paul Newman. You don't want to see their riddled corpses flopping around on the ground. I, I mean, didn't you kind of want to see that, Rodrigo? Um, I'm just saying what Hollywood. Well, I know, yeah. I know. I don't know about that. Like, honestly, out of, uh, uh, like, between this and The Wild Bunch, I would say that this movie does a much better job of glossing over these guys being bad guys. Like, Wild Bunch yeah. is like, these guys are terrible. Why are we following them? Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid is like, these guys are charming. One of them may actually never have killed anybody. Um yeah. Like, basically, the movie tries its best to make them seem like lovable outlaws rather than murderous criminals. Right, right. and they come off and, as, as as a comedy. And that's the thing is, uh, you know, that's that's the ending that those people get. The, the movie is saying, you know, these people aren't all bad. So, you know, that, basically, that's what the movie is doing. The movie is glorifying them as outlaws. Um, and that's where they get that freeze frame, right? It's it, that freeze frame is the movie's thesis is they died violent deaths. They did terrible things, but we remember them as these two super cool guys holding guns and being like, oh, no, guns. <laughs> yeah. And, I, and, and maybe it was just too much for me, but I just I was so annoyed that, you know, we are holding these guys up to some great standard when 
Like, yeah. they didn't really do anything good. Like, what did they contribute yeah. to, like, make people's lives better? You know how I said I was coming back around to Westerns and how I kind of like the genre? This is a movie that really ruins the genre again for me. And it's unfortunate because a lot of people really look at this as one of their favorite movies um, for a lot of different reasons. It could be because they're jumping off the cliff into the river or because of the freeze frame or because of the raindrops uh, musical montage. Um, but this is really a... It's a one hour, it's almost a two hour movie mm-hmm. that really needs to be edited down to a 45 minute movie <laughs> because there's a lot of buffer. I mean, literally, as you said, there's 45 minutes of them being chased across three states. Mm-hmm. Well, and and honestly, um, there's a bunch of movies in here. You could mm-hmm. make a movie just about them being chased. Mm-hmm. It's like the movie starts with them being super cool outlaws and then, you know, finally the here's like this posse that appears out of nowhere and it starts chasing them and then the whole rest of the movie is them just running away from these guys mm-hmm. i mean assuming you didn't want to keep you know too much historical accuracy which i don't think this movie does anyway um but yeah that's like that's an interesting movie like a separate interesting movie is here's a bunch of capers but it is weird that there's this like really kind of tonal shift when they're being chased um which I found interesting. I thought it was cool. You never get to see the people that are chasing right, them. Right, right. They're always they're guessing at what they're the people chasing them are going. You tr- you see them try to execute plans and like mm-hmm. they don't quite work because those guys are onto them. Like I found that to be the most compelling part of the film. Yeah, is these two guys running away from the the super group that was put together by uh, by the railroad magnet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was a great. Things you think you are supposed to be following these two along, and there's supposed to be this really smart pairing of guys been robbing all these trains, and they do all this, uh, you know, they they have all this lore about them, and they can't outsmart this this group of like five guys that are hired to not stop chasing them until they're dead. Mm -hmm. Like that is a cool thing that they just got rid of because they're like you know what would be great is if we didn't have to do that anymore mm-hmm. let's go to a different country mm-hmm. but that was the best part of the movie for me like oh my god they're gonna like, well they're gonna hop from one horse to the other one while it's riding that was pretty cool so the the weird part about that is that it's like okay we're we're gonna go to bolivia before we have this like quick photo essay about uh mm-hmm. being in new york and it's like <laughs> how how did those guys not catch up to them in new york yeah, they were just like, kind it of kind of it kind of seems themselves. like they just went to New like so it's like one of two things. Either they should have caught up with them in New York or they should have just stayed in New York cuz they would be like, "Oh, well, nobody's right. coming to kill us, so right. let's just stay here." <laughs> because they could have just gone by their real names and no one would have known and they could have been lost in the crowds of New York. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, this is I mean, I'm sure this this is based loose on on loose historical accuracy, right? Sure. But there, there's just so much of it that is, like, not needed in this film. There's so much that could be done a different way. And some believe that the reason why that big chase scene is, like, as long as it is, is because the director, uh, I always want to call him Judge uh, Judge George Hill or whatever his name is, um, mm-hmm. they, uh, they went and shot in Colorado and in Utah and in New Mexico oh, to get all these shots. And so the thinking is they just wanted to go and shoot in these iconic places where <laughs> other Western films had been shot. Yeah. And so they were really doing that so that they could have an excuse to, um, to go there. I mean, mm. 
props on them for figuring out how to get some dope vacations out of making mm-hmm. a movie, but mm-hmm. that doesn't make economic sense whatsoever. Yeah. I couldn't even tell they were in different states. I thought they were all just like riding around in a giant circle. <laughs> yeah, some of them doesn't look like it, right? <laughs> Let's the point this thing. way and we can shoot Texas. Let's yeah. point the other way and there's New Mexico. Yeah, like those states are so different yeah, that yeah. you could just shoot in one state and you'd be fine. Yeah. Um. Gosh, yeah. That was the thing. It's like we watched, we're like, Zach on film or watching these movies. They're great. And then you get to one, you're like, why did we watch this again? And Steven's like, it's because it shows how bad Hollywood was. I'm like, oh, great. But but is it really bad? So, and again, well, I'm not trying to think. Let me, let me play devil's advocate for a moment. Is it really that bad? It is, it's listed on the, on the National Registry. Yeah. It is listed as number 49 on the top 100 films of all time. <laughs> so there has to be something good about it. Maybe these taglines, these actual taglines used for the movie will help us figure out why this is such a great movie. Okay. The first one is... Just for the fun of it. <laughs> Good tagline. Uh, second tagline. If you want to start up a revolution in South America, hold up a bank in Salt Lake City, blow up a train in Colorado, just call. What? Hmm. Number three. Not that it matters, but most of it is true. You never met That's a pair like Butch and Sundance. And the final one is, they're taking trains, they're taking banks, and they're taking one piece of baggage. That's Those are the taglines for this movie. Some of those were good, and that that Salt Lake City one was yeah, yeah. very confusing. Yeah. Yep. So, uh, I so mean, what's, I don't what's know. good I, about this movie besides that you fact that you got Paul Newman and Robert Redford, who would then go on to star in the Sting together, which, in my opinion, is a far superior movie than this one. Oh my gosh! Yeah. Uh, honestly, I'll tell you. I will tell you absolutely what is good about this movie, especially when compared to the last two. Watching this movie, I was never bored, yes. which I, which I definitely was during the Wild Bunch, and I definitely was during the Wild Bunch. That's... It bears saying twice because that movie is actually pretty boring. <laughs> you're you're absolutely right, Rodrigo, because they timed their sequences very well. It's like we're gonna ride horses for just the right amount of time before I'm like, okay, get off horses, and then you're like, you're thinking. Get off horses, and they do get off horses. Mm-hmm. Now we're going to climb some rocks, and then we're going to look at some people, and then guess we're going to ride a horse again. But you got enough buffer that we can put thirty minutes of riding horses <laughs> in the movie, but we timed it just perfectly where it's kind of exciting. So yeah, I think you're absolutely right. Is there anything else you think that is? I mean, you have the music, that, right? The music is great. Right? I mean, not For the Bach song. Rock. Why not? That was like, like a big hit of 1969. That doesn't mean it worked well in the movie. But it was written for the movie. That doesn't mean it worked well. <laughs> but it's got it's got Paul Newman and uh, what's her face well, uh, riding on a riding on a bicycle together, laughing in the sunshine. So there's this interesting phenomenon that happens uh, where um, you know when a movie comes out, if it uses modern music, people at the time, think that's okay because that's the music they are, are listening to. So a movie, a period piece can have either modern, like like the latest music, or it can have mm-hmm. period music or what people assume is period music. And that's that's a whole nother thing, right? Um, the problem is, is that then that weirdly dates the movie. And then if you watch something, you are like, why does this movie, which takes place in what, like 1896, 1890s, <laughs> have this like very 60s song in it? Mm-hmm. And it's because it was made in the 60s. You know, it's like, it, I mean, there's a ton of movies out there 
Well, I, I mean, actually, a great example of this is uh, Easy Rider. Legend. Well, yeah, well, Easy Rider takes is current. Easy Rider takes place in the 60s. Nice. Um, but a great example is something like Legend, where it's like, here's this ancient medieval fantasy, and it's just got this like bleep bloop synthesizer soundtrack because it was made in the 80s, right? Um, no, nobody's seen Legend? All right. No, we've seen it. <laughs> but uh but yeah so it, it is interesting because it just kind of plants this flag on when the movie was made and then as more time passes it seems more and more out of place yeah i think roger ebert uh, in in his um review and a lot of critics uh complaint was that the music was really an uh, what is it uh anarch what is it the ana anachronistic anachronistic yeah. yes uh, because it doesn't fit with the time period. It's mm-hmm. just it's just off, and it does mm-hmm. feel out of place. But again, if you're trying to make a Hollywood hit, you got yeah, that's the thing. You got to make somebody big in it's there, like, and, the, and the, you can tell that they're going for Hollywood hit here. They're going. Well, this is this is the equivalent of a Batman v Superman level movie, where the studio is yeah. banking on this to be the hit. Mm-hmm. It's like uh, Transformers Two getting Linkin Park to do a song for yep. the movie, right? Wait. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, it it is that, um, but it's kind of like I actually I don't remember now. But like, does three hundred use a modern soundtrack? I don't oh, know. It's I been a while since I've seen that movie. If I'm guessing, I'm saying no, but I don't know if I'm okay. right. But and that's the thing is like you might not like we don't know because when we watched it, if it had a modern soundtrack, because we're used to that sort of music being in movies right now, it just went right over our heads. But if it did. Like later on, when our when you know Zach's uh, grandkids watch it, they're gonna be like, "Why is there like all this like wailing like new metal over this like thing about like the Peloponnesian Wars?" It says three hundred music composed by Tyler Bates. Uh-huh. Um, so it's not like modern musical. Gotcha, gotcha. Um, you know, it's not like uh, yeah. Will I Am is doing a song in this. Right, right. Um. Also, this the 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 score one Oscar uh-huh. or best original soundtrack. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was very funny because again, watching the credits beginning of the, beginning of the film, I saw Burt Bacharach in there. And I go, you want to know the only voice I ever know Burt Bacharach was from is uh. From Austin Powers, no. when in the beginning <laughs> of the movie, time. when he's like, and everybody, uh, give it up for Burt Bacharach, ladies and gentlemen. I'm like, oh, I recognize that name. <laughs> Thank you, Austin Powers. Which I felt kind of bad because I'm sure he's like a great producer or a, a great composer who's done a lot of great work. But the only reason I know him is because he was conducting an orchestra in the beginning yeah. of Austin Powers. I mean, there's some cool, I mean, there are definitely some cool scenes in this, right? The jumping off the edge of a cliff into the water. Is really cool. I mean, that's a real that's a real stunt. Um, not by Paul Newman or Robert Redford, although Robert Redford did want to do a lot of his own stunts in this film. Mm-hmm. But you've got that. You've got the whole, um, um, you know, some of the some of the nice scenes like at the beginning where Paul Newman is in the bank and he's like, "What happened to the old bank? The old bank was such was much more nicer." Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And you know, it's a reflection of the times. And you got to admit that the. Uh, musical montage is well shot. I mean, it, it, except when you get oh, the sure. weird ragtimey music bit that that yeah. fires up there in the middle. <laughs> but I mean, it's well shot and it looks like a nice romantic bit. I mean, it's well shot. It's well edited. The explosion of the train, where you know the two leads are standing right there in front of the train that and getting knocked down. It's all really cool. But when you put it together, for me, I don't think it is a great movie. Well, that's the problem. Is there are 
these great little moments, but there are these other moments that just make me not like the characters or make me second-guess choices in the film that ruin them slightly because I think them robbing the train Mm -hmm. was kind of funny. That explosion Mm -hmm. really caught me off guard. Like, oh, those people are like really close to that explosion. So that was good. I liked when, you know, Butch and Sundance ride into the the hole Mm -hmm. and the guy's like, I'm the leader now and we're going to fight. And he's like, okay, here are the rules. I'm going to kick you in the nuts. That was a great yep. scene. And, and there's this that, pseudo, that whole that scene. whole scene is like that whole scene was great because he like challenges him for the leadership. Then uh, Butch Cassidy beats him up and then says, "Well, what were you guys gonna do?" And it's like, "Oh, we had this idea to hit the flyer twice." And he's like, "That's a great idea. Let's yeah. do that." <laughs> yeah. And there's some there's some nice humor, but it all just seems mis- all this stuff just seems misplaced. If this movie had been done in like '62 then I think it probably would have been like really cool. People would have been like, yeah, this is a cowboy movie. This is what cowboy Western movies should be like. Mm -hmm. But by the time you hit 69 and going into 70, if this is what Hollywood still thinks a Western is like, it seems really off. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what, there's a, there's an interesting preoccupation in these movies with, uh, Latin America. mm -hmm. Um, Wild Bunch ends in Mexico. Mm-hmm. Easy Rider starts in Mexico, and of course, uh, Butch and Sundance end up in Bolivia, uh, exclusively played by Mexicans. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they shot it in Mexico. They shot those yeah. like, Bolivian scenes in Mexico. Um, yeah. So it's it's interesting. It's interesting that we've seen three movies and and Mexico in one way or another factor so prominently in them. Mm-hmm. Was that you know you can you can go all you can go to the movies now and watch ten movies whatever's out and none of them might mention Mexico, but for some reason all of these movies have Mexico in yeah. them. But you know, right now there's a trend, especially in big blockbuster movies where everyone goes to China mm-hmm. where China yeah. is, is the, is the hot location. China now is the new Mexico. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, and that is, you know, um, China is, is China, yeah, right? China is becoming this big player mm-hmm. in the movie box office scene. Obviously the one of the largest countries in the world, right? They have uh, more movie theaters opening now. So they're trying to feature them prominently. Is that something that was happening in Mexico? Do you know if they were like, putting up more theaters in Mexico and like, well, if we feature them, maybe they'll get played more or they'll do better with populations in America. I don't know. You know, just kind of growing up in, in the, uh, in the seventies, it was very easy to go across the Mexican border and come back with very little effort. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was like passports. You don't need a passport. Here's my driver's license. Okay. Across, you know, back into America. Here you, here, here you go. So when we look at easy rider, there's this nice back and forthness going on. When we look at um, Butch and Sundance and Wild Bunch, it's taking place right around the Spanish-American War. And again, I think this idea of, well, they're not going to pursue you if you head into South America or if you head mm-hmm. south. These, they're not going to pursue you in that way. You know, you don't have the extradition like you do now. So I think that may be okay. the reason why there is that focus on that. Mm. You know, you can you can look at these movies, and so this is you know 1969 in the United States, right? That uh, golden age of futuristic um, 1950s like nuclear family stuff is past. Vietnam is mm-hmm. like uh, weighing in everybody's minds. Um, the predominant 
like youth culture is basically a criminal culture of like draft dodgers and uh, drug addicts uh, as far as the the government is concerned. Like, I, I think it's interesting because if you see what Mexico is in those movies, Mexico is where you escape. Right. Um, That's and, where you know, and, at, right? and Bolivia as well. Uh, I mean, obviously, I'm not saying that, you know, they're the same thing, but, I'm, <laughs> right. you know, it's like it's shot in Mexico. It just happens that uh, Butch and Sundance ended up in Bolivia. Um, yeah, it's like uh, Americans feel that their country is like dangerous and problematic and there aren't easy answers anymore. There's no easy answer. You can't just be like, we are good and they are bad. Those days are done. So the only place you can go is this like strange pastoral place full of adobe huts and uh, cocaine, apparently. Well, and, and just like remember a Magnificent Seven around the same period, too. Got to go down to Mexico. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm. Yeah, it's so. very interesting, especially when you're looking at was there other, like in the wonder, 80s or something? I was there this thing where they were going to a specific country? No, I wonder. If it wasn't also because it's cheaper to go shoot in Mexico a lot of times. Well, I mean, that, a lot of the stuff is still Utah for Mexico or New Mexico mm-hmm. for Mexico. Or I mean, that's probably part of it. And, you know, there might have been tax breaks. I mean, there's this I, I don't know exactly how the economies line up, but there's also this thing that a lot of Americans think, you know, the United States has always done pretty well and Mexico has always been like kind of a, a, you know, quote unquote, third world country and all this stuff. But Mm -hmm. there were multiple times in American and Mexican history where Mexico is either doing as well as the United States or Mm -hmm. is actually doing better than the Mm -hmm. United States, especially if you look at, you know, particular segments here or there. So I wonder, yeah, if there would just happen to be like a big tourism drive or something like that. Although most of the places that you see here, they don't really portray Mexico as a great place to visit. No. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, maybe communication between Mexico and the United States was good. It was easy to go down and shoot in Mexico. Um, you know, labor was easy and cheap and you don't have all these labor laws about, you know, who's allowed to work in your movie mm-hmm. and for how much. So, yeah, I mean, it, maybe, maybe it wasn't just the characters escaping to an easier life, but the filmmakers themselves escaping to an easier place to shoot a movie. Hmm. Yeah, it's always, you know, there's always seems to be some form of economic reason why people are shooting in one location or another. So it it wouldn't be surprising if there was an incentive to go down there. I don't know if they'd figured out tax breaks. I, the problem I mean, is, maybe they so, had I mean, I'm sure they had something like that. But when you think about it, the, you know, the reason why you went to California is because you had very good weather and you didn't and you were far away and, and you were far enough away from New York where you didn't have the studio heads meddling with your stuff all the time. So you move mm-hmm. your studios out to California and you shot everything in California and you just had a good time in California. Problem comes in probably the about the 70s and through the 80s where they're like, hey, average man on the street, you want to buy this sandwich? You know, here's two bucks. Oh, you're a movie studio? Well, you guys are flush with money. We're going to start charging you 10 bucks for this exact same sandwich. And that is what drove people out of California in the in the uh, in the seventies, eighties, and really more so in the nineties, mm. uh, to go and shoot in Australia, to go and shoot in in Europe, or go to shoot in all these different places, as except for California, it's because people there just were gouging the heck out of the studios. And what ends up happening is 
California set itself up for an, an economic problem because where are all the laborers coming from? Well, they're not hiring laborers in California to go work in Australia or to go work in Mexico or go to work in um, uh, Canada. They're hiring those local people mm -hmm. to do it. And so now you have a lot of people who are out of work in California because of this. And so when you look at this, I mean, we could probably do a whole episode on the rise of, of tax breaks. <laughs> but when you see that, so hey, exciting. how can we suck this? How can we get the money out of the studio into our country or into our state or into mm -hmm. our region or whatever? It all has to do with how can we screw these other people who are charging way too much for this? Mm -hmm. so. Well, and you always see it. That's, you know, the rise of uh, Canadian shooting. That's, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. Georgia. Georgia mm -hmm. basically came into prominence because of that as a, as a mm -hmm. place to shoot your movies because of that. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So, this movie was not what I was expecting. It was, they did a lot of things well. Like you said, they shot it well. Mm -hmm. There were some great stunts, some great explosions. Um, and I, I think great chemistry by the two actors. Absolutely. That's 100% what sells the movie. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And really, if you take out that weird rapey scene and you... <laughs> Uh, if you, you take know, 45 minutes out of the film, you, change, you have a fantastic movie. And you just make the one relationship between Sundance and the lady mm -hmm. and not throwing this like weird triangle thing that yeah. was just throwing me off. Uh, this movie, I think, gets way more enjoyable from my point of view. Mm -hmm. But with those two scenes back to back, I was like, I can't trust this movie anymore. And I don't like these two guys. And they're not going to die in the end. So that made me kind of sad. Yeah. Um... So that was kind of the, but again, great. Glad it, you watched it. I'm, uh, you know, I did enjoy it. That's the problem. It was like, I didn't like it, but there was some great enough stuff that I would be like, well, if you're going to watch it, let's talk about these issues that I have with it. But it's not a bad two hours. You're not going to be bored, like yeah. Rodrigo said. Yeah. So, uh, you know, Paul Newman and uh, Robert Redford. Some I want to say they, they teamed up one more time, but I'm not for certain. I think they well, came this, up three times. Yeah. I think this one came before The Sting, didn't it? Yeah, it did. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Sting came out in like 73, 74, something like that. Well, let's see. Let me see if I can find something else. Uh, he was in Kuhan Luke. No. They were in three movies together. Walk in the Woods. What's that one about? Weird. Oh, no. That's not it. Oh, no. Oh, stop autoplay. Boo. Boo ads. No, there's, uh, Red, or Newman was supposed to star in uh, Redford's Walk in the Woods, but he passed away. Oh. oh. So they did only star in the two films, Butch yeah. Cassidy and The Sting. Well, it was definitely, you know, another little piece of our puzzle of 1969 that we're putting together over mm -hmm. all these episodes on Zach on film. Wait till what, next week. Yeah, what do we have next week, Stephen? Next week, Midnight Cowboy convinced his irresistible he is his of his irresistible uh, irresistible appeal to women. Texas dishwasher Joe Buck quits his job and heads to New York City, thinking he'll latch onto some rich lay uh, rich women that he'll hustle it. New York, however, is not as hospitable as he imagined, and Joe soon finds himself living with an in an abandoned building with a Dickensian layabout, Ratzo Rizzo. <laughs> The two form a rough alliance, and together they kickstart Joe's hustling career just as Ratso's health begins to deteriorate. So, did the re the real reason we watched Bush Cassidy and Sundance Kid was as a like flip to a, this. like a like a, a morality cleanser of like 
uh, Easy Rider, drug dealers, doing drugs. Kind of, kind of. As just to, is kind of you know, if we, weird, but it's I would have I would have put I would have put Wild Bunch and Butch Cassidy back to back because they would have been polar opposites oh, of yeah. one another as far as westerns go. Yeah, but Easy Rider was just too easy to follow up as far as another film sure. that is just like shaking America and saying wake up people because that's kind of what Wild Bunch was doing. That's kind of mm-hmm. what Easy Rider was doing was shaking people and saying wake up. So then we fall back into this very commercially successful viable film called mm. Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. We're going to follow it up next week with Midnight Cowboy, which was the second highest film, uh, highest grossing film of 1969. That's about uh, male prostitution. So right. there you and go. I think it's, it, it was an X or did they It have was a rated X when it first came X. out uh, because there's some homosexual uh, elements uh, okay. into, the, into the movie. Uh, it did, did it, receive an Academy Award. Did it they not the, have the NC-17 rating at this no, point? No, NC-17 didn't come out until like I was in college. Um, oh, okay. um, what was the... Um, Oh, I forget which movie. Nineteen ninety-seven. It, like it was ninety-two. I want to say Basic mm-hmm. Instinct. Whenever that movie came out, that was the first one to get an NC seventeen. Okay. Um, but this one had an X rating. Mm-hmm. Today, the review board has reviewed it again, or recently, I don't know how many years ago, but they reviewed it again and they knocked it down to an R rating. Oh, okay. So, but at the time, it was X rated. It's the only film to receive an Academy Award that has an X rating to it. So right. there you go. Well, I'm very excited to watch Midnight Cowboy next week on uh, Zach on Film. Uh, in the meantime, Rodrigo, you know, when you're in between recordings of Zach on film, you can always head mm-hmm. over to Majorspoilers.com, where I hear they have oh. a whole lot of podcasts that you are also on that uh, people could certainly enjoy throughout the week. I uh, am. Yeah. Uh, critical Hit, Top 5, Major Spoilers podcasts. There's so many over there. Everyone should go over there and download those and give them a listen while you're waiting for next week's episode of Midnight Cowboy. And of course, while you're there, click on that Amazon.com link where you can do all of your Amazon shopping. If it's not going to cost you any extra, but a little bit of that money will come to major spoilers and not to Jeff Bezos' pocket. Uh, so that's uh, it's great. It's great for us. Yeah, there you go. Uh, Stephen, there's also a Patreon. Yeah, if uh, people enjoyed this episode and want to support the, our efforts to make more, then become a patron at patreoncom slash spoilers. You um, you get to help us out, and you get a little of uh, extra stuff in return. It could be a T-shirt, could be a membership card. Depends on your funding level. A whole lot more. You can find it at patreoncom slash spoilers. So awesome! We appreciate everyone that does that. But that's going to end it for this week's episode of Zach on Film. We'll see you next week with more great films. This podcast is copyright 2016 by Major Spoilers Entertainment, LLC.